Hey everyone and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. Invite your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we love your Word. We love you. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to become the Word in flesh, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that when we speak the word, the nations respond. Lord, when we speak the word, our hearts respond. Lord, we ask this morning that as we commune around your word, that our hearts would respond again. Lord, that we would be transformed, that we would pick up the mantle of authority you've given us to carry and be the people you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, this message today, uh, actually my, my beautiful wife, she prayed it in the prayer room uh, a couple of weeks ago. We have a, a prayer ministry, uh, sort of like the, the corporate church prayer meeting is Wednesday nights, 5.30 to 7-ish. And uh, my wife was praying and she began to pray Hebrews 6, which is where I'll be today, Hebrews 6, verse 1. And I heard that and something stirred in my heart. And I didn't know if it was just for me or if it was a word for all of you, but I just kind of sat on it like a chicken for a while and just waited for something to hatch. And it hatched, and that's what this is. So if you like today's message, you can thank my wife. If you don't like it, you can uh, email me at idontcare at gmail.com. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. How many of you guys know that you need to be fighting for something greater than yourself? Right? It's, it's cut and dry. You have to have a vision that's bigger than what you see for yourself. Right? In order for you to have a vibrant, real relationship with Jesus that you were created for, you actually have to have a vision that goes beyond your own capacity. Without vision beyond your own capacity, you're stuck within yourself. If you're stuck within yourself, you're not actually living, you're slowly dying. Right? You guys get that? We, we have to be able to hope for something more than what we are currently living in now. You have, to, you have to have hope for more of the Holy Spirit than you're encountering right now. You have to have hope for more intimacy with Jesus than you're experiencing at this moment right now. Without that, you're not actually growing in Jesus. You're trapped in your religion. Okay, we, we are a people of hope. We are the most hopeful people on the planet, according to the word. Without hope, without a vision that goes beyond where we are and how we feel and what we see and what we know, we're actually not walking with Jesus, we're walking with ourselves. Without hope, you're not walking with Jesus, you're walking with yourself. Amen? Without hope, you are lost. Let me try that again. Without hope, you are lost. Without hope, anchoring your soul and leading you, you are not having the relationship with Jesus that God designed you to have. Hope enables you to walk out sanctification. Hope enables you to hear the voice of the Lord in your life individually. How many of you know that you all equally are created to hear God's voice 
whether it be audible or through the small, still impression or from reading the word, however it is that you hear him best, all of you were created to hear God's voice individually. You can't do that without a, a, a fresh daily dose of Holy Spirit hope living inside of you. You can't be a disciple of Jesus without hope. It's impossible. You're hopeless. <laughs> Go to Hebrews 6, uh, verse 1. And this is Paul speaking to the Hebrew church. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. I just want to stop there because I love that the basic teachings of Christianity is laying on of hands. How many of you know that you need to just be comfortable and okay with laying your hands on other people and praying for miracles to happen? That's like the beginning step one of being a Christian. Repenting is step one, and living a lifestyle of repentance, understanding that you're not living for today, you're living for the e eternal life that you've been promised through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the basic tenets of Christianity, that you have authority. Then he says in verse 4, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened for those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It, would, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing, the nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn it and that, that field and burn it. In verse 9, pay attention. He says, dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we don't really believe it applies to you. We are confident you are meant for better things that come with salvation. Okay, so Paul opens up his letter in chapter 6 by explaining the fundamental teachings of, of Christianity, praying for the sick, sick repentance, uh, living in the eternal. And then he goes on to talk about how it's impossible to get resaved after you've fallen away from your faith. Why does he talk about that? It doesn't, doesn't really fit, does it? It's kind of like he just throws in another sermon within his sermon. And there's a reason he's doing that, because the Hebrew church was getting stuck within themselves. See, they, they needed to reteach themselves the simple tenets of Christianity because they didn't really believe what they said they believed. And the same is true for us. We get so stuck within ourselves because we forget who we are and we have to remind ourselves by reproving to ourselves the basic things that we already know. That's why Paul says, this isn't how we actually feel about you, but you need to get over yourself and your doubt so you can move on to the things that are important. 
See, in America, we get so used to the same old teachings about the same old things because we don't actually live the way we say we believe we live. We have to reprove it to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves because we're afraid that we might mess it up. Look, you don't have to worry about messing it up because you'd know if you'd mess it up, you wouldn't be saved. <laughs> you wouldn't have a desire to be here. You would actually be out doing things that, that better fit your schedule and your time and, and your desire. But you're not being led by your desire. You're saved. You're redeemed. You have life eternal. So you're here. And Paul says, now that you're here and you understand that and you don't have the fear of not being saved anymore, you're not Baptist, you don't have to get saved every Sunday, let's move on. Let's go to the deeper teachings. Let's talk about the things that are going to help you grow into what you were created to be. Sorry for my Baptist friends. <laughs> but Paul was not building a theology on losing your salvation. He was trying to get the Hebrew church to understand, get over yourself. Get over your doubt. Get over your fear and what you don't think you don't know. It's okay. Move on. Those are basic things and you've got that. Now let's go deeper. Verse 10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving, uh, keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Verse 12. Then you will not become spiritually dull and, and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance. Where does spiritual dullness come from? Hopelessness. Where does indifference come from? Hopelessness. A, a lack of believing what God told you to believe in. <laughs> See, these are the deeper things of Christ that you would learn to get over yourself and grab on to what He promised. What does hope look like? Jesus. But what does He give us in order to, to carry that hope? Faith and endurance. It's so simple. Faith and endurance. That means it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. That means it doesn't matter how much teaching you know or don't know, or how skilled you are at preaching or at praying, or how much you fast, or all the different spiritual activities you do. If you endure with faith about what God has said over your life, you will receive it. Listen to me. If you endure and you outlast the enemy and doubt 100% of the time, you'll get the promise God gave you or called you to. You need to understand this, that you're not good enough and that's okay, but you don't need to worry about what you're not good at. The deeper things of Christ is grabbing onto hope and saying he promised it, so I'm going to wait it out and fight in faith until I see it. That's what endurance means. It means that if you don't quit, the enemy loses. It means that if you just keep pressing in and saying, God, you either break me or break that or break something, I don't care because I'm not going to stop until I see what you said is going to happen come into my life. 
These are the deeper things. See, you can teach yourself to pray for the sick all you want. You can prophesy and go to prophecy training all you want. But until you button up your pants, pull up your boots, and just endure in faith, you're not going to see it. Faith and endurance. He's not worried about your insufficiency. He's not worried about what you don't know. See, the deeper things of Christ is just learning that you're not really equipped to do what he called you to do. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that good? That you just get to endure and receive because your faith has caused something to happen in your life where you can hope beyond what you're experiencing. <laughs> if you keep saying yes to hope and refuse to give up, you will win 100% of the time. 100% of the time. Verse 13, we're still in Hebrews 6. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. I love that because we all know Abraham was a knucklehead. But he waited patiently. That's all he did. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Machizeldeck, or Machizeldeck, or however you say it. <laughs> These are the deeper things of Christ that we would learn to grab onto hope and allow hope to be a power that moves us into deeper relationships with Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus has no beginning and has no end? He's eternal. That's what that means in the order of Melchizedek, is that he has no beginning, he has no end. You can go do a Bible study to confirm that for yourself. So where you are today is not as far as you were created to be. Where you are today in your relationship with Jesus is not the end of where you were created to be. How you feel about yourself, if it's not in alignment with what God says about you, is a place where hopelessness has infiltrated. Is a place where you've allowed disappointment and discouragement and things that are untrue about you that have been decided by culture and circumstance to, to, to create a narrative that leads you into hopelessness. But you get to fight back. And you get to fight back by holding on to hope. How many of you know that hope is warfare? 
Did you know that hope is warfare? The enemy wants you to be hopeless. Because when you're hopeless, you've taken your eyes off of the eternal one, the resurrected one, the one who has no beginning and has no end, and you've found the end of yourself. See, hope is always in front of us. It's something we have to grab onto. Hope is never behind you. Hope behind you is called regret. If you're looking for hope in the things that you've already been through, then you're regretting your life. Get over it. You have to move on. Hope always stands before us. And as we hold on to it, it actually leads us, not as an idea, but as a power, as a force like grace, an energy that moves us forward from ourselves and into the deep inner sanctuary of God's presence. If you feel stuck and dry in your relationship with Jesus, it's probably because you've lost hope for his will in your life. If you found yourself bound in sin or, or just dry and empty, when you go to pray and worship, you don't feel anything, you may be feeling hopelessness about what he said in your life. You have to grab on to hope. See, hope is a gift, but we actually have to choose to receive it. You have to make the conscious effort to let go of hopelessness, to let go of yourself, grab on to hope, and say, I'm not letting go as no matter how hard you buck. I'm grabbing on to this thing. See, you can't declare that God's going to use the situation in Ukraine for his glory unless you're holding on to hope. The foundation of your faith is built on the hope of glory. Where does my hope come from? It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from within. You can't find hope within yourself. You actually have to encounter the hope giver, grab onto it, and allow it to lead you out of yourself and into him. See, hopelessness is a result of being focused on yourself. It's the epitome of selfishness. That's hard to hear when you're depressed. I understand that. It's hard to hear when you feel insecure, but it's the truth. When you catch it, a glimpse of who Jesus is, you forget about your insecurity, and hope leads you into the man of glory. So you can't come to, your, to the end of your relationship with him, but you can miss out on what he's purposed you for if you're not holding on to hope. Doesn't matter how old you are, how weak you feel, how broken you've become, how beat down and discouraged you are by life, if you grab on to hope, there is more for God, in God for you. If you're still breathing... There's still more God wants to do in your life. There's still promises to be fulfilled through your life. I want you to understand you've not come to the end. If you're still alive today, there's still more that God wants to do through you, but you've got to hold on to hope. You need to hope in the reality that there's something greater than yourself. To encounter the deeper things of Jesus. Again, the deeper teachings are learning on to hold 
are learning to hold on to hope despite what you're going through. Hopelessness is actually another form of godlessness. Without hope, you eventually will be led by your desire to rebel against God and his leadership. Hope is the proof of matured faith operating in your life. Hope is the proof of matured faith operating in your life. If you're not expecting God to break through, you may have forgotten who God is. The quickest way to lose into death, into failure, and into lifestyles of sin is to lose hope in God. If you want to stop living, become hopeless. That's it. Proverbs 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. You can't live a hopeless life. It's impossible. Romans 8, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. That means that there's nothing on this earth that can happen that God can't use for your benefit and for his glory as long as you're holding on to hope. The question isn't, God, will God do something? The question then becomes, will you hold on to hope until he does what he has promised to do in your life? Endurance. Or will you allow fear to get to, get to you to fold and to give up? Will you settle for less than what you were made for? Will you sign a treaty with sin and complacency? Because you've lost hope. Or will you allow hope to arise in you and continue to fight? Every disappointment, every failure, every place of pain is subject to God's restoration and to revival if you will just continue to hold on to hope. If you'll just continue to fight for what he's called you to fight for. You see, Christianity is not for the weak of heart. It's for those who are emboldened and strengthened by a spirit of hope. In Numbers 14, we've read this before, but we read it in our life journals this week. The people of Israel come to, the, to their moment of truce, the promised land, and they send scouts into the land of Canaan, and they come back and they're like, man, this place is better than we could have ever imagined. They're just, just swimming in the ideas of giant vines of grapes and, and rivers of milk and honey, whatever that means. They're excited. But then all of a sudden, a spirit of fear comes in upon the people, and they don't want to go in. Why? Because there's giants. And they feel like grasshoppers in the presence of the giants. The people begin to rebel against God and rebel against Moses and are almost at the point of stoning their leadership because they're afraid of the fight before him. But then something comes over Caleb and Joshua 
and I, you, I need to read this part. It's Numbers 14, verse 9. Numbers 14, verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What are the giants before? What do they say the giants are? Pray. Pray before predators. In fact, a better translation of that would be they are bred before us. And an even better translation would be this is our daily bread. In fact, until you understand that your sustenance and your sustain doesn't come from being complacent and comfortable in the places of your past, but actually is found in the daily fight for what God has called you to, you'll never learn to live. You need to grab hope so that you can learn to fight. If you're not fighting for what God has called you to, you literally are being pulled back to the sin you've been rescued from. You know, I watch people do cycles of sinful lifestyles where they get on a spiritual high and a spiritual low. And, and you know, they, they, they're, oh, why is this always happening to me? It's happening to everyone. Everyone is experiencing the spiritual high and the spiritual low. The difference between the person who makes it and the person who doesn't is fight. And the fight isn't found from within. It's not found from your, your skill or your talent or the things you know or you don't know, it's found because you've said, I'm hoping for what God said I'll have in my life and I'm willing to fight till the death until I get it. That's it. If you're stuck in a cycle and a lifestyle, there's nothing else you need to worry about than fighting for what God has declared over your life until you receive it. That's it. It's your daily bread. It's your place of sustenance to learn to fight for the promises of God in your life. Let me ask you a question. When will the fight ever end in your life? Never if you're living. If you're walking in the land of the living, there's always going to be a battle. But the point is not to avoid the conflict or run from what you don't understand or cower before the giants. The point is to say, oh, here we go, God. You called me to this place, so I'm going to fight until I see what you called me to get. That's it. That's it. That's the deeper teachings of Christ. Is learning to fight. To stand up and say, you know what? God called me to this, so one of us is going to die. And I'm pretty sure my faith and endurance says it's you. You know, depression, we've been doing this for a while, but I've just decided today that God has promised that I'm going to receive joy. So either one of us is going to have to break or you're going to let me have joy. These are the deeper things of Christ. It's getting over what you don't know and what you don't like and what you don't understand and saying, I'm going to do this until God does what he says he's going to do in my life. See, the enemy knows this. He's not really afraid of what you know and what you don't know because you've already been created for victory. It's in you. It's in your blood, in your DNA, in your skin. The fiber of your bones is victory. 
You weren't made for defeat. Jesus already took what you deserve on the cross. You were not made to lose and the devil knows it. So he just bombards you with discouragement and, and feelings of inadequacy and defeat. And it's not real because God has already made you to win. See, these are the deeper things of Christ. It's putting on your steel toes and kicking until you get where you need to be. It's learning that, man, I've been hurt in the past, but my hope is not in the past. I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to where I'm called, which is the inner places of relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to hold on to that until he does what he's promised in my life. See, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to make a treaty with sin. They wanted to make a, a, a pledge of allegiance to complacency. Joshua, Joshua and Caleb said, no, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than to go back to that. And I'm not going back. This is our daily bread. We're going to learn to fight. And then Numbers 14, verse 10. The whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. Not a moment too soon. I'm pretty sure that's how the leadership felt that day. <laughs> Church council had the rocks in the hands. <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Come on. How long would these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nature greater and mightier than they are. Sobering. Sobering words. How long will these people have contempt for me? Living in a spirit of hopelessness is having contempt for God. Living in a spirit of depression and rejection is having a, 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 a spirit that has, no, has, no dis, has disregarded what God has said over your life. God is not asking you to feel different. He's asking you to believe different. See, God is not looking for a people who have agreed with the spirit of defeat. He's looking for a people who agree with the, the victory that he paid for them to have on the cross. In a moment, God is, is, is leading them through hope to the promised land. But as soon as they let go of hope, he's ready to devour them. Of course, Moses, like Jesus intercedes for the people of Israel and God's wrath is relented. Praise God. Praise God that you don't endure the wrath of God for the hopelessness that you've made agreement with in your life. Do you understand that? When you agree with depression and hopelessness and defeat, you are making a treaty with the enemy. And you are holding God in, uh, in, content, in contempt for what you've not believed him to do. And he says, I won't have it. If you want to see me break through in your life, then you need to choose to believe what I've said despite what you feel. Go to Mark 2 real quick. We'll, we'll go through this one quickly. 
This is about the, the, the paralyzed man that gets lowered through the roof. Mark 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house they were, where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then, he low, then they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately that they were, what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I love that story. So we've got a situation, got a paralyzed guy on a mat. He's got four of his buddies carting him to Jesus. But they encounter a problem. Jesus is famous. And he's become so famous that you can't get close to him because there's hordes of people following him everywhere. What I really like about this story is we've got no history on who those four guys are or the guy is laying on the mat. We just know that they're five random dudes who are unwilling to give up on what they believe can happen. They're so desperate that when they see the crowd, they say, you know what? I'm not worried about this. We'll go up instead of through. And it says that they dug through the roof. That word dug is actually broke through. I don't care what Bible teaching you read or whatever Bible study you do. They literally broke the roof in order to get the man from the roof into the area where Jesus was. Could you imagine that, being at a, a, a church meeting and you hear pounding on the ceiling until the sunlight comes through and a man on a mat comes down on, on a makeshift crane? It was probably a little disturbing, to be honest. I'm sure if you lived in that house, you were probably hoping that your farmer's insurance would cover the hole that was just made. I didn't expect this. But these men lower the man down on the mat. He gets down to where Jesus is, and Jesus sees their faith. And he's pleased with it. How many of you know, until this moment, these men were not believers. They were just full of hope. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just had hope that if they could get this crippled guy to the feet of Jesus, something might happen based on what they'd heard secondhand from the people around them. So they break through the roof. They lower the man. Jesus sees the hope that's produced faith that they don't even understand. And he's pleased by it. But also because Jesus is kind of Funny in some ways, he pokes at the religious people. And instead of healing the man right away, he says, My child, your sins are forgiven. 
What did the man do to, to receive forgiveness of his sins? Did he repent? Did he say anything? He's just filled with hope. Righteousness is a man or a woman walking in hopefulness. Your hope will purify you if it's leading you to God. And of course, the religious leaders and, and the onlookers, they become outraged because how many of you know that religion always finds a reason to be miserable? <laughs> See, I don't know what your, your social group looks like, but you need friends like the four guys carrying the mat, and you need less friends like the religious folks who are always finding a reason to not have hope. See, there will always be people in the world who will be clawing and, 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 and crying and whining and trying to get you to agree with the spirit of hopelessness. These are agents of the enemy. There will always be people who are miser miserable, who are trying to multiply their misery into your life. And it's not that you need to avoid them because Jesus didn't avoid them, did he? No, he didn't. Like, no, you know what? This is messing with my vibe. I need, I need some space. No, he allowed his hope to poke at them and waged war against hopelessness in front of all those people. Forgives his sins. They get mad. And he goes, oh yeah, watch this. He causes the lame man to get up and walk. And what does it say? That the people who were there were then amazed and gave glory to God. You see, when you walk in hopefulness, when you walk filled with hope, you reveal God's glory to the world around you. See, there's an entire industry built on getting you to get discouraged. There's an entire social construct cultural norm that's been built to get you to be discouraged about what's happening around you, in your finances, in the nations, in the culture, that, culture wars that are happening. And it's because the enemy knows is that if he can squeeze hope out of God's people, then there's no hope for the world. But the Lord knows better. He doesn't need the most trained, most knowledgeable, most well-to-do Christians he just needs four guys who are willing to say yes when everything else says no. Today, you have everything you need to bring revival into the earth. Today, you have everything you could ever gather to be an agent for the kingdom of God filling the earth around you. But you need to be willing to walk in hope and unafraid of the spirit of hopelessness when it tries to come and, and find a place in your heart. See, this is what the world's looking for. The world is looking for people who are willing to say, God said yes, so that's what I'm saying too. The world is looking for people who are crazy enough to be so ravaged by the hope of what God's doing in their lives that they're willing to die any cost at all to get what God has said will happen in their life. But you've got to break that agreement with hopelessness. Remember the, the, the show Charlie Brown? Remember Lucy and Charlie Brown when they would do the football kick? 
she would always say, okay, Charlie, I'm going to hold the ball. You come kick it this time. And he would run, and he would, he would get really close, and he'd get all of his momentum in there, and he'd swing his little leg, and what'd she do? She'd rip that football. And his leg would just carry him, and he'd fly up in the air, and he'd go, oh, shucks, and hit the ground into a pile of, of disappointment. And she would do that over and over to him, right? I feel like that's some of us right now. We're so used to being disappointed, we don't know how to hope in what God's doing anymore. We've got Charlie Brown syndrome. We're so used to getting excited and expecting and, dis- and doing what God has called us to do, but then being disappointed that we've stopped fighting. And the Lord says, break that. I want to break that in you. I want to restore your will to fight. I want to repurpose what I've called you to. I want to show you that it's worth living for what I've promised in your life rather than dying in what you think you know today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who's here right now. Lord, I thank you that you're releasing hope into our hearts right now and that you're breaking that discouragement, that spirit of disappointment, that thing that says it's always going to be the same, that you're never going to experience what God has called you to. Lord, I thank you that you're breaking that thing right now off of us. In the name of Jesus, I command disappointment to be broken off of your life right now. In the name of Jesus, I declare that hopelessness has no more room in your heart. In the name of Jesus, I declare that the dreams that God has spoken to you in your past would come to fruition in your future because you decided to fight for what God has said is to happen in your life. We break that, that agreement with Egypt, that agreement with sin, that agreement with complacency that says you're not going to get it because you're not good enough. We break it and we declare Jesus has put victory in my DNA. And I'm declaring war by declaring I'm grabbing onto hope and going into the inner place with him until I receive what he's promised for my life. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. We're going to open up the altars. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.